the beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic. I am Sam Amick, NBA insider, sidelined basketball reporter here as always with my guy Joe Varden who is in the same boat. What's up, brother? We're, we're quarantined week seven, week eight. I don't know what we're at here. How you holding up? Yeah, I was trying to think about that too, uh, what week this is, and I have no fucking clue at all. <laughs> At this point, I just you know just broke. Wait, you just of, broke a record for quickest f bomb in the history of tampering. Well done. We need to chronicle well, that. Good. And Lord. it's been a while. I feel like it's since cranky. the onset of COVID, like we have stopped swearing, which I think we need to get back to. I got my kids might listen to this, Joe. I struggle with that. Not gonna lie, you know. <laughs> I got my like a G. Gonna, he's gonna come back. Like whenever fourth grade starts in Ohio, he's gonna come back and. Like the teachers will be astonished at the language that he's learned. <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of that on our street, and you, you know, listen, times are unique, so I have I have bigger battles to fight than uh, than language. But uh, I've noticed our neighbors are, you know, as we do social distancing, uh, saying hello at evenings and whatnot. We got we got our rated language flying around a little more than usual. Uh, let's dive in here. We got somebody waiting on the line in a few minutes. Uh, we're on a good run of pods here, my friend. I've really, really enjoyed a lot of the guests we've had. Uh, last week, Andy Thompson, creator, videographer from NBA Entertainment, the guy who got the entire Last Dance project off the ground, um, and a guy who was fantastic on the pod last week. Um, this week, we have Sacramento Kings coach Luke Walton. And calling him Kings coach, I don't. I think that sells him short, because obviously Luke had a long and fascinating road before taking that king's job uh growing up in an nba family with his father bill and playing under you know the great phil jackson and certainly plenty of last dance tie-ins to get into you know w- with luke uh before we get to luke we also got to make sure the listeners uh, the loyal ones know this the new ones if you are not with us at the athletic in terms of the glorious written word uh we would love to have you and we still have the 90-day free trial that is making it easier than ever to come check out our work. Our staff, uh, I'm subjective, but it's genuine and true, continues to do a great job pumping out really high-level storytelling and interesting stuff in spite of the fact that there's obviously no games. And I think it's it's only going to get more interesting from here. This week on the NBA side, Joe, uh, you know, news that starting May 1st, NBA players in states where stay-at-home restrictions have been lessened will be allowed by the league to return to practice facilities. My understanding is it will start out as individual workouts only. Uh, this is another topic I think that we might get into with Luke, just that idea that you know if you coach a team like the Kings, which is in California, where they have very strict stay-at-home uh, rules at the moment, as opposed to the Atlanta Hawks, where Georgia is, is about to be and kind of already is open for business. And so the Hawks you know, have a different landscape with which to work uh, in terms of figuring out if there's going to be a season and figuring out, 
you know, how big uh, those love handles are going to get of all these players who are falling out of shape. I think the the main thing that we're going to talk to Luke about today and really the thing that's on everybody's mind when it comes to Luke Walton is he finished his career as a player in Cleveland. Uh, those were two shitty teams, and I think everyone just wants to hear about that. That's what I want to talk to him about. Anyway. Yeah, okay. One of these days, my life goal on this pod, Joe, I'm going to get you out. Although I'm Sacramento-centric still, here we are with Luke, but you know, the, you're six degrees of calves. It's, what do you it ne- expect from me? Fails. I've been yeah. chained here for the last six weeks. Did you, you? You were not around yet in 12 and 13, right? God, was I, that, was, I was doing politics. That's what I mean. So you didn't, hey, there he is. Luke Walton, what's up, sir? Uh, just sitting in my, my my office, which is the car in my driveway now. That there's no quiet places in that house. Thank you for joining us, Luke. Um, you know, I know that you know you just you have such a time crunch these days. You have no spare time, and, and the the fact that you could carve out a few minutes for us is is you know we we can't thank you enough. How you holding up, buddy? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I mean, it's 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 tough because you know. Um, it's sad out there. There's, there's people dying, um, people looking, you know, to go back to work and this and that. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's scary, but you, you also have to, to try to make the best out of, out of your situation. And that's what we're trying to do here. And I'm trying to appreciate the time that I have with the family that, that I don't always get. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that, that part of it has been really nice, Sam. Yeah, and I think Joe and I both can relate. Um, I wonder if it's similar for you and your family at all where, you know, you you mostly have good days and then, you know, just being real, like, you know, we've got days. Yesterday was one where, you know, the uh, and our kids are a little bit older than yours, Luke, and, and Joe's too, but um, the 11-year-old was just, was just kind of on one where, you know, emotionally seemed like everything bothered him and um, and so you're kind of monitoring that situation. Then the next day it's the 13 year old who's having a hard time kind of finding his way, you know, and then it's, it's the wife and I, where it's, I work at home a lot. Um, I'm you, and I keep joking about this. I, I'm used to having the entire house to myself during the day. And even right now to paint the picture for you, you know, I'll do the podcast in my office. I actually have it. It's really cool. Like a, an actual on the air neon electric sign that I will turn on outside my office door because, and it's never been more actual, you know, functional than it is now because everybody in the house needs to know to be a little quieter. So just sharing space in a different kind of way is a new experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mine are, mine are younger. So they, the sign or not, they're not listening to me. That's why <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I, when I, when I know I actually need some quiet time to, you know, do a podcast or make a, make a call to somebody that I can't be interrupted. Um, I just go to the driveway and sit in the car and make, make the, make the phone call because what I learned early, early in this was when you got a three and a five year old, they're coming in and they're coming in yelling and they don't care right. what you do. Right, so, right. so my office is out here in the car, but, um, yeah, it's, it's an adjustment. It, it, it is. And it's, you know, it's, it's the you know one of those things though uh in life you gotta this is what our reality is right now and, and you gotta we have to figure it out and um and and learn to uh appreciate what we have and and, and try to get through this 
together as a, as a family, but also, you know, as a community and, and as a, as a world really, cause this is, this is affecting everyone everywhere. And, uh, I, I can oh, no. only speak because we've been in quarantine to the people, uh, here in SAC, uh, and it, wow, the, the place has really, really come together. People are, you know, doing what they can to, to help each other. And it's been pretty impressive to see, uh, to see the amount of, amount of love for your, for your neighbor, uh, going on right now. So, and you said it, I mean, at some level, we're all kind of in this. And one of the things um, that we're all experiencing and trying to adjust to is just whatever routine you had is totally thrown off. And, you know, somebody who would travel the the country for nine months coaching a basketball team, certainly uh, your routine now is way off. To To the degree that you wouldn't mind sharing, what is your daily routine now? Uh, it's, you know, I got, I'm, we got it down. It's, uh, we're, we got two young ones at home school. Um, so we're, we're in no rush to start the day. It's, you know, it's a, we, we get up, we will have breakfast, um, make some coffee. And then, uh, from there we, we go to the neighbor's house. We got a dog. We take the dog to the neighbor's house and we do a pledge of allegiance in front of their flag. And then we do a family walk, uh, through the neighborhood here come back do some homeschooling uh that takes us to about lunch and, and then we'll normally get out and uh and, and go swimming uh depending on what the weather looks like and then come in and do a little quiet time and then that's where you know for the first time normally the first time of the day uh, my my wife or i will will try to get some sort of workout in in, in the house and then we're back at it in the afternoon and that turns into uh, a bike ride with the kids, uh, or some sort of outdoor activity again, just to constantly try to keep them outdoor. And, uh, then we've been, uh, we've been attacking different, different movie series. So we did the Harry Potters, uh, and now we're on the star Wars right now with the, with the family. We do about 30 minutes a night right after dinner, put them down. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's either, you know, do some reading, listen to podcasts, um, watch some old, some, some of the games from earlier this year and kind of do some staying up and, and continuing to, uh, to, to grow as a coach and, and to le- continue to, to get to know our, our group of players better. So your kids are five and three. You just said that. So you guys are hanging in there really good now. The breaking point for you will be when the kids are older and you start to see the appalling way that they teach math now. You will not believe it. <laughs> you will not believe I've that. I've heard shit. that. So right now we're still at like if you got ten tomatoes and you get two to your to your neighbor, how many are left? So they, I mean, they look at me like I know what I'm talking about. But I've heard they've changed completely the way that math is taught, which I'm not happy about because I love math. So I was excited about, you know, being there for my kids. But I heard if you, if you didn't learn the way that it's taught now, you have no chance at helping them. So, guys, that's the, the perfect segue. And, and listen, there is a lot that we were hoping to get uh, to with Luke here. I mean, we wanted to chat Last Dance because you've got a lot of personal tie-ins to this documentary that obviously is the kind of the only uh, basketball action, so to speak, at the moment. Uh, and then wanted to talk about your King squad. But on the math front, I love, and I, and I read this and heard this from the conference call you had with reporters last week, I love the way your life has changed, Luke, because it was not that long ago that 
you know, you were the guy who was widely known to be a big time volleyball player in Manhattan Beach and spent your time with your toes in the sand. And now you're uh, in quarantine at your house with your son learning math. And, and as you shared last week, you know, if he gets a question right, his his award is to pick up that volleyball and, and peg dad, you know, just wherever he feels like. Is that the routine I hear? That's 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 the routine. I mean, <laughs> look, you got to keep it. You have to keep it fun. It's 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 you know, it's just like coaching in the NBA. You got you got to keep uh, you got to keep it exciting. You're doing you're getting repetition and repetition. I mean, I, I don't know how many different ways they can ask five minus three, and you know, these five year old kids, so he gets bored pretty quickly. He knows the sure. answer, right? So we got to keep it. We got to we got to keep it fun. Um, but have we have we broken anything in the house? Has he hit you below the belt? How is the actual volleyball? No, no, no. I get, I get one. I cover the the the. Uh, I cover the face with with one one hand, and uh, I cover the uh, the, <laughs> the growing with the other with the other hand. So and he's you know he's allowed to stand back and let him go. So we tally up the score, and then you know for everyone he gets right, and he's. He's learned to enjoy. He comes in the room asking to do math in the morning, so you know it's it's working out. We're having fun with it. See, I was tempted to steal that from you, and I'm not sure quite yet. Especially our older one. Uh, I mean, he's coming in at 125 pounds, and and that 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 volleyball might might have a little uh, more speed on it. So I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I think once they get older, it's probably not a safe game. Right. Right. All right, let's pivot here, brother. Um, the last dance stuff is is obviously so interesting. Uh, I don't want to assume anything. Did you get a chance to to watch it last night? And, and how much are you uh, diving into to this documentary? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's 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 awesome. I think it's for us us sports people. I think it's a, a um, it's a big help to have that out right now, uh, and it's it's kind of bringing people together and giving giving people a little bit of a fix from from what we're all missing in, in the sports world. And uh, oh yeah, I watch I watch every minute. I, it's we're 100 percent focused when when uh, when those four episodes have been on so far. Well, and there's a lot of directions we can go, but I want to start with the to me the obvious one, which is Phil. I mean, he's had such a tremendous impact on you in general and your coaching career and we know how unique of a voice I mean I'd probably argue the most unique voice in basketball history when it comes to the way that he taught and you saw some of that last night now this is all old hat to you in terms of you know with the Lakers for you know I think 03 to uh, 2011 you saw that every single day but you know did it bring a smile to your face when you're watching last night and you're and you know they had everything from his upbringing in Montana, his spiritual background, you know, next thing you know, you're cut into film of the Bulls practices where, you know, they have meditation and they have um, just such a different approach to coaching the game of basketball. I mean, you've lived this and, and again, you guys are so close. What did you think of the way they handled that? I thought it was great. Uh, I really did. I, some of the, some of the old pictures were, uh, were just incredible. Him as a player, um, just, so thin and lanky and running up and down the floor. I, I got a, uh, you know, I, I had a smile on my face last night watching a lot of that stuff. And yeah, you know, him leading the, the Chicago Bulls and in, in yoga. Like we 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 have yoga, but we'll bring in a yoga teacher. Phil was out. Phil was out there leading <laughs> in yoga, and he just he's such a unique person. Uh, a lot of it uh, because of his life experiences and how he grew up, but. 
just an absolute master at, at relating to people and, and, and understanding people and how to challenge them, how to push them and how to, you know, how to get people to really buy in and, and accept what the team is trying to do. And the way he goes about it is just uh, masterful. Did you know, did you know the history of how he came on to the triangle? Cause I'm sure by the time you were working with him, like you just, I mean, you just lived it. Uh, I didn't realize exactly how he had learned from text. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't know that when I got drafted to the league, but as my uh, relationship grew with, with Phil um, and over conversations, um, you know, he would tell me how him and Ted, all the stuff they showed last night. Yeah. He, we had talked and, and I had heard those stories. Uh, Cause I assume like I'm sure most people that, you know, Phil, uh, Phil was the triangle and created the triangle. Um, but it was in, in just hours and hours of road trips and conversations and breakdowns with him and Tex, uh, that they really, you know, got into, to how to implement it and how it was best. And I was, <laughs> I was dying laughing because, uh, Jordan during during the episode at some point was talking about how Tex would always be on the bench just yelling at Michael to move the ball, pass the ball, and it, it made me think when we when we were playing on the Lakers, Tex would do the same thing, but about Kobe, and <laughs> he would always be yelling, "Yo, get Kobe out of the game! He's killing the offense." And Kobe <laughs> would have like forty nine points; he'd be dominating the game. But Tex would be so mad that he wasn't moving the ball. Like, you had a two count to move the ball. The ball had to be either caught, shot, or passed within the, I'm sorry, uh, dribbled, passed, or shot within the two count. And if Kobe didn't do it, Tex would be losing his, his mind behind the bench. So to hear Jordan <laughs> going through the same thing, two of the greatest players of all time, is pretty, pretty good. Well, I mean, to that point, Luke, I'm watching this thing last night, knowing that we're going to talk to you this morning, and I'm thinking that you talk, you know, you've got your own incredibly unique filter to watch this documentary, not only with the Phil stuff, but uh, you know, and we could, we'll have you back another time to do a whole hour on your Lakers years in terms of everything you saw and, and breathed and experienced then. But you know, quickly on that front, I do wonder. Did it go through your mind at all the parallels uh, between what some of these Bulls went through and those Lakers teams that you came right into? And I, this morning I went back to look at it, and I had forgotten that the parallel to me is fascinating because you got Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf unbelievably essentially bringing the Bulls dynasty to an end and saying this is Phil Jackson's last year. Michael says, I'm only playing for Phil. I'm out. I'm going to retire. Um, and you're sitting there now looking at it going, what in the hell? You got two three-peats. You are on top of the basketball world. It makes no sense. Now, fast forward to you coming in the league. 0304 is the Kobe Shaq, Gary Payton, Carl Malone team. Phil, uh, you know, in you know, with a different jersey on, so to speak, still winning titles. And Jerry Buss and, and Phil get sideways over contract stuff. And lo and behold, Phil leaves. And you got Rudy Tomjanovich for a year before Phil comes back. And the themes are there. Um, does that stuff go through your mind as you watched last night? Yeah, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't reflect uh, as deeply as you're bringing it up uh, as I was watching it. But there's, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of parallels, and that's what made Phil such a, a genius, and, and in my opinion, the greatest coach um, to ever coach our game because. 
I mean, how many people, and I know, every, you know, people talk about the talent he had and Jordan and Kobe and Shaq, but yeah, because if you're going to win, you're going to have a lot of talent. And, but his ability to, to go through that and, and it is so hard people that are around the NBA know how hard it is to, to win and to win championships. And when you're going against the other best teams, you have to have everything firing. And for him in Chicago like that to go through that, already been told he's getting fired after, you know, winning two, three peats and Scotty not playing and Dennis being, you know, Dennis, and then to come into LA and do it again. Right. It, it's just, uh, it's incredible. I mean, he, 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 he walked away from the team uh, retired for a year, however you want to look at it. And then comes back to the same team and then still has the ability to get it figured out and to get everyone, uh, back on the same page. I mean, normally once you leave a team, you're not, you gotta go, you're going to go somewhere else. Cause it's just not going to work where right. you were. And for him to, to be able to do that is just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's so impressive. And yeah, I mean, look, they, we had, we had, uh, Meta World Peace, Ron Artest, who people thought was, you know, he he was he, he was like Rodman, part of that type of team. Yeah, he was yeah. like Rodman, and just like Rodman, I don't know Dennis, but from what everyone was saying, uh, his teammates loved him. And I, you know, when Meta got here, everyone was kind of like, oh boy. And Meta was one of the nicest, most gracious teammates that I had ever played with. Right. And he was, he, you know, for what everyone else thought of him around the, the NBA world, he was an incredible guy and, and fit right in. And we obviously don't win a championship, that championship against Boston without him. So, right. yeah, there, I mean, you can go from the beginning of when I got to the Lakers to those last couple championships um, and a lot of similarities between that and, and the Chicago years. Okay, Dennis. Uh he, you know, of of all the takeaways from last night, I think he, of course, is one of them. And, of course, the thing that stands out is the vacation. Um, you know, he goes and he asks Phil and asks Michael if he can have a couple of days off in Vegas, which I have been laughing watching the players of today kind of react to this on social media like this would just – you can never do this. And I'm thinking, okay – the, the last Cavs team I covered was LeBron's last year there, and they the whole team, Ty took them during a road trip, took them to Napa for two and a half days, right in the middle, like just total, total you know, no practice, just total in-season vacation. So I thought that was funny. But then I also like, I, you know, everyone's talking about how there's no way that this could ever happen, like... Not to put you on the spot with the Kings, but generally speaking, if a if if a player, especially a, a really good player, went and said, "Yo, I need a couple of days off," do you think it's that far fetched that they could do it? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think they could do it. I, I don't think they could do it. Um, what what Dennis was doing in Vegas, uh, but that's more <laughs> along the lines of of the social media that exists in today's world than. I told a story to someone the other day about how when we were coaching in Golden State together, uh, Steve saw that it was, you know, on, we were on a great run and Andre and, and Steph were, were fatigued and he 
he set them up on an 18. He set them up on a golf course to go play 18 instead of practice. And, you know, so it's not that, I don't think it's that far fetched. Um, I, I think that just the actual Vegas part of it and, and then staying out five or six days, however many days he ended up staying out is the, the crazy, uh, the crazy part. And then the, uh, someone brought it up at, during the show, but the, the fact that Michael had a, <laughs> the greatest <laughs> player of all time is the one that has to get on a plane and fly to Chicago or to Vegas to bring him back uh, is, is awesome. But yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening uh, today either. But yeah, I, I think like you talked about Ty going, like when you're you, when you're winning at that high of a level, it the, the amount of pressure and, and just strain. It, it's sometimes it's better for an individual or like Ty did the whole team. I think that's brilliant of him. Take them to Napa for two days, let them reset um, where you can. I mean, it's not often you get that that opportunity. And I thought that part of the show was entertaining, but my takeaway from Dennis was was just what a competitor well, I mean what a what a winner he was when he was obviously in the right place uh those pistons clips and then you know even those Chicago just the the amount of winning basketball he he was playing was I mean that's that's a valuable valuable piece to have on your team someone that is just going to embrace getting every rebound guarding the other team's best player um, sacrificing his body left and right, uh, and I thought it was—I thought it did a nice job of, of kind of showing how important and how great of a player he really was. You know, um, the other two guys on the beat that year that the Cavs went to Napa were Jason Lloyd and Dave McMenamin, two guys I know you know, uh, and we all thought that was brilliant as well. We didn't mind the two days in Napa. Yeah, I mean, it is. Who drank more, the players or the coach, or you, or y'all? Oh my God! When we we, you know, like we could tell you which players we saw and when, but like you couldn't take me at face value the amount of the amount of wine that we had had by two or three in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's I mean, to, and Ty, I think Ty's a great coach. I think he he learned probably from Phil as well uh, that type of mentality that sometimes a, a break is 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 better than getting in the gym and working. Now, 90% of the time, I think the best solution is getting in the gym, hearing the ball bounce and, and getting to work. Um, but, you know, there was a time my, my rookie year on that team you were talking about, Sam, that we were at training camp in Hawaii going two days, double days. I mean, the gym was 100 degrees. And at the end, guys are just worn down. And it was, you know, we had that many vets on the team. So they were kind of casually going through what they needed to go through. And we all got taped in the morning towards one of the last practices of of camp and got on the bus. None of us knew a thing. And the bus drove right past University of Hawaii and over to some uh, military base. And they had a, Phil had paintball set up for us. And he had, oh, wow. you know, two captains and Kobe and Shaq and they pick, we picked teams and we stayed out there all afternoon and it was so much fun. And, and to me, you walk away from that and what we went through as a team and the bonding. And it's like, did we just get better as a group doing that? Or would we have gotten better playing basketball? And we got better out there on the paintball course. And, and so there's just little things like that and recognizing when and how to do it. Um, uh, 
And I think your example of Ty going to Napa is, is a great one. I think Steve sending Andre and Steph golfing instead of to the court. Uh, these are, you know, and, and Phil, Phil, Phil always knew when to when to do those type of things and, and, and get got, keep guys fresh. I mean, look, you're bringing up paintball stories now, and we were going to move on to the next topic here, but now you got to paint that picture, no pun intended. Like, how long are you all out there? Who's got the best shot? What are some of the hijinks that, that went on? Uh, you know, what was that whole experience like for you guys? Slava Medvedenko, greatest paintball. <laughs> I mean, this guy... This guy was trained. In, this guy was trained in military. He, he, he was he was rolling around target. I mean, he was unbelievable out there. <laughs> Robin Medvedenko was. I mean, he should have been the number one drafted. Um, Kobe's Kobe's got to be on the short list, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Kobe was on the other team. Shaq drafted me, uh, okay. which I thought was like a, a nice moment for us until we got back to our bunker and. He tells me, I was a rookie going into my rookie season. He tells me the only reason I was drafted was to draw enemy fire. <laughs> so <laughs> he gives me two options. He says, either one, you sit in this bunker and we all shoot you from point blank, or you run out <laughs> to the middle of the field and draw fire so we know where they're coming from. So that's a, that's an easy choice. So I put my gun down and ran out to the middle. They started fire, and I ran back, and Shaq uh, was in the, just dying in the bunker, laughing. I feel like uh, and it, then that it, ended really, up being, it really was. That ended up being, you know, that's the story of your playing career. It was dirty work, right? You're doing the the stuff that's got to get done. Well, yeah, I I I love I love basketball. I love competing. Uh, so. I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind doing any of the, the, the dirty work. I don't mind being the facilitator. I don't mind whatever has to happen to that team to have a better chance of winning. Let's do it. So, um, but yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty great introduction into the NBA. That's pretty uh, good. Those, that group of guys. All right. Before we, we ask you about your King squad and, and want to kind of talk about the here and the now a little bit. Um, I'm going to jam one last in, on the last dance front and it's you know i'll be honest luke it's uh for even for me uh it's still it's still kind of just so surreal to even talk about kobe you know what i mean because of the horrible loss but another thought that i certainly just kept kind of focusing on watching the the doc is um you and i have had conversations about kobe's competitiveness and the fact that sometimes the public and mainstream fans aren't completely ready if you will uh or or understanding of kind of the way some of these guys are wired and and this documentary and to michael's credit because michael had to approve this documentary i'm happy that he allowed some of this footage to come out that shows that the 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 not nice side of him the fact that he's you know whether it's getting into jerry krause because of their relationship or yelling at ron harper or yelling at tony kukoc uh, and I'm sitting there, and all I could keep thinking about is the fact that it's, you know, in NBA circles, everybody knows that, for one, Kobe obviously modeled so much of his career and his mentality after Michael. And then for two, he, I mean, he executed that game plan. This is how he was with his teammates. I mean, are you looking at this this kind of uh, Michael, you know, out in the public and, and these types of things and thinking about Kobe as you watch? Yeah, it was, it was, it was wild uh, sitting sitting there watching these episodes so far because it's, I mean, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm 
watching Kobe Bryant play in the 80s and early 90s with a different team. Uh, you, last night, like you, you see that look in his face and on on his face, and you hear him tell Horace Grant, "Don't let him see you. Don't let him see you whine. Don't let him see you that you're in pain." I mean, that was it's that was playing with Kobe Bryant. Like don't, that, those are the words. Now he Kobe had so much so much love for 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 his teammates too, but boy was he. I mean, he was he was on 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 us all the time and, and because he he knew what it took and what it was going to take to win a championship and you have to be you have to be mentally and physically tough and strong and watching jordan and the way that he went about it uh seeing the pain when the pistons had beat them those two years and the way he was walking off the court and then the way the team trained into that off season where they were talking about like BJ Armstrong, I think said we all came back like the next week, like no one went on vacation. We all trained. And, and that's, that was the exact thing that our team happened. Our team, when we lost to the Celtics uh, in 08 was, it was, there was no off season. It was, you know, guys went to their homes, but Kobe's calling people, you know, every week checking on them, making sure they're working. And the whole team was on board with it. And we came into that next season like I had never seen our group before. So to see those parallels and it was, I mean, it was, it was almost scary to see how much um, the way Kobe went about his business uh, and the passion that he had. I mean, you see the passion that, that, that when Jordan finally won it and they finally beat the Pistons. And he said, that might've been better than winning the championship was beating right. the Pistons because of how much, how, how much he, he cared and how much he worked and how much he, uh, you know, he hurt from losing. And that was, uh, that, that was pretty awesome. I thought it was pretty powerful to see just how, how much he wanted it and how much uh, he was willing to, to sacrifice and work to get it. So and this isn't going to help because I don't remember the quote, but we're sitting there on the couch last night and there's this quote that Michael says and my wife, who's like barely a basketball fan, is like, oh, I've heard that before. I think I've heard Kobe say that. And I'm like yelling at her like, of course you have. That's where right. he got everything from this guy right here. Right. Like every, everything. And, and you've kind of alluded to it, Luke, a couple of times that you've been talking about like Dennis, like the competitiveness and then like watching Michael, like how bad he wanted it. I mean, as a former player, as a coach, is there a thing that you're seeing here that kind of gives you like the goosebumps or gets those competitive juices flowing again, like makes you want to get back out there? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, multiple times an episode, I, I, count, I count them out loud. I tell them. I tell my wife that's three. That's three sets of goosebumps I've had already. <laughs> and it, 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 one, it happens every time that they play the Chicago Bulls intro. Oh hell yes! It, you know, yeah, I mean, every, every time that comes on, the goosebumps come. And then you know, so, and then throughout the episode, there'll be two or three different times uh, that it's like you, you want to, you know, you, you're you're we're we're all ready to get back after it already. But this take, you know, this just pushes it and, and takes it to another level as you know um they still do that song and they did it when they had Dwayne, and they did it when they had derrick rose um you know and now it's a, it's a new batch of, of bulls and you know it's hard to to relate to them um from from the old days but they still do that song 
So as a coach, when you're standing there the one time a year, you go to Chicago, does that, when you, like, do you take time to hear it? Does that kind of, does that kind of take you back to those days? Yeah, it, it does. It, what it takes me back to when I was a uh, junior in high school, um, my dad was working the finals when they were playing Utah. And he, he brought me and my older brother, Nate, uh, with him to, to games, whatever, games three and four. What, I, I forget the number of games that it was. But we were sitting in the arena we had no seats because my dad would just give us like media passes. <laughs> but we were in the arena, and when they did that intro and they got through all the names and and they got to to number twenty three, uh, and to this, I mean, it was like as a high school basketball player, it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and to this day, every time I hear that intro when we're in Chicago, um, it kind of it instantly takes me back to what that what that building was like back in, in 90, Well, listen, look, I, I'll be honest. I could sit here and talk to you for hours about like the, the things you've seen have been a part of and contributed to when it comes to basketball philosophy with your Lakers experiences, with your Warriors experiences, with your history, with your dad. And, and like my last thought on the Kobe front is I'll never forget um, being at Staples. And this is during the, the Kobe Dwight experience and Kobe and Dwight are sideways and, Kobe's got the black hat on and he's being pretty tough on Dwight and you know Kobe was always pretty good to the media and certainly later in his career when I dealt with him I, I he was very good to work with and he'd always give you the, the old walkout by the loading dock and so we're sitting by the loading dock and he's talking about the culture of conflict which that phrase always stuck in my head and he was basically trying to explain why he was being so tough on Dwight and why it mattered and why it was the right thing to do and I've always found it so interesting this discussion because I think there's like a chicken or the egg component to it. Is players like Kobe, players like Michael, it's that idea that you know some people feel like you know they win in spite of their you know their edgy ways, uh, or maybe they were too tough on teammates, but the ends justifies the means because they they lifted the trophy at the end of the year. You know, I probably lean more on the other side, which is yes, there is such a thing as going too far, but I'm not about to to act like you know like their style and their leadership, which, you know, kind of imperfect, imperfect though it may be that it, I mean, that, that propels teams and that lifts guys up. I mean, where do you stand on that conversation and that idea? I hopefully you know what I'm kind of getting at here, but just that, that it's not always pretty, but it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think uh, Kobe probably learned a lot of that from Michael. And I think he learned a lot of it from Phil. I think part of Phil's, beliefs was you know he 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 liked that that uh that controversy he liked that uh keeping everyone on edge type of mentality um and i i think it's different for every situation that that you're in you gotta just like coaching what from what i've learned and in coaching and you have to be true to who you are and what you believe in as a coach Uh, i think the same for for a player and, and what I mean by that is I think the way to, who Kobe is, who Michael is, that, that's, how they, that's how they have to lead. That's who they are. They can't try to be Steve Nash, Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, right? right. And I don't, right. Think Steph, I don't think Steph and Tim and Steve Nash could, could lead how Kobe and Jordan did. Like it's right. just 
and there's, I don't, so what I'm trying to get at it, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. It's, it's being a great leader is, is being true to who you are and you can win both ways. And it's been proven in the league. I mean, from everything I've heard about Tim Duncan, he's the nicest, greatest guy to, you know, to ever play this game. And he, they won five championships and, you know, Steph Curry, my time up there. I mean, what an unbelievable person. If you just went out to, to dinner with him, you wouldn't even know that he was an MVP of the league. He's just an incredible human being and he's nice to everyone. He's supportive. He, uh, he's not, he, he occasionally gets on people, but for the most part, he doesn't. And, and, and they, they're winning championships, uh, like crazy over there. So there's, right. there's different ways to do it. I think it's more importantly, just doing it, uh, doing it, being true to who you are as a, as a player. You got, we got plenty to talk about here. Um, you guys, I mean, you were, and I know every team has their frustration, obviously with the idea that the season was suspended. Now, disclaimer, of course, the I mean, you're talking about global health and people's well-being is, is the only thing that matters. But it's okay, I think, to talk about the basketball side and the idea that here you have a Kings team that, you know, and because I'm based in this part of the country, you know, I do see you guys a lot. And you had, you know, a tough start. You had the India trip. You had, you know, uh, Marvin Bagley being hurt. And it was for the first couple of months, for most of the year, it was a tough experience. And then you get to the tail end and you guys are really putting it together and you're pushing for the eighth seed when folks, myself included, I just got to own it. I mean, I, I thought, you, you know, that the odds there, the chances of you guys still being in the playoff hunt were, were dead. I thought the season was over. And then you're getting there, you're getting there, you're getting there. 13 and seven after the all-star break. Uh, offense took a major uptick uh, transition, especially with De'Aaron Fox playing really good basketball. And the momentum was something to see, and then lo and behold, this happens. Um, how have you kind of reconciled all of that? And again, I know that it only matters to an extent in the grand scheme of things, but it does matter. You guys were playing good ball, and so how do you, how does that kind of land? Yeah, I mean it's 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 important, and it's part of what we teach uh, teach our we try to teach our, our players is every you have to keep things in perspective, and I and I and I know what you're you're saying Sam it's, uh, we're, but it's look we're talking we're talking people's lives and death and so it, as much as we wanted to keep playing uh, you know we're okay with the fact that it's shut down because of the fact that we're trying to save people we're trying to help people um, so it, you know I, I can't get into much of that other than I, I can tell you our guys were having, you know, our guys were having a lot of, a lot of fun playing and they, there was a nice groove to what we were doing, uh, the way we were getting out there every night and, and just competing, uh, the style that we were playing with, with everything we were looking, uh, to, to build when we, when we took over the team and yeah, we had ups, we had downs and, um, but it was so, it was one of my favorite themes of this whole season was every time we were really down and you've been around the league long enough, you've seen teams quit, you know, the, every time we were down, our team pulled together and, and really uh, found out, found a way to figure it out and, and won some tough games. And uh, I think that we, we've grown a lot of, as a group through this, through this one uh, shortened year so far. 
and that's you know to me that's really exciting about what what the future uh, of, of this team is and, and where we're we're headed. Um, but yeah, you know we all you know we wanted to we wanted to see what we could do and see if we couldn't make uh, keep that that push going. Um, but you know sometimes there's things in your life that are out of your control, and you just, you gotta you gotta make the best out of. Okay. So yes, and that is uh, like from the sort of ethical, you know, moral dilemma or whatever, you know, I mean, you're hitting all the right chords. Of course, like the NBA did what it was supposed to do. You have to step away and let, try to get all these things under control. But let's assume, so so now we're, we're assuming that things are safe enough that the NBA feels good enough to come back and play. So in that scenario where we're, somehow we get the all we get the all clear i have two questions one is um how long do you think you would need to get your guys ready to go and then do you i i assume the answer is yes but i know that you would expand on this like kind of given everything you just said you know you're three and a half out of the eighth spot i i assume you would want them to try to play a regular season so you guys can see if you can close that gap yeah, I'm, well, the first part, I, I, you know, that we'd have to get the players back. We'd have to see what kind of shape they're in. You know, we we we'd let our medical staff kind of we we, get, we have numbers on all of our guys. There's testing we would do to see kind of how much time we would need to safely get them back out on the court. Um, but you know, from all my communication with with most of our guys, they're they're doing what they can, working out wise. But I, as far as the timeline, I just I have no idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, if the season were to start again, we'd want yeah, we want to we'd want to we'd want to play games. But uh, uh, again, that's uh, that's not, that's not where I, I'm not spending my time really focused on that, just because that's again one of those things that's out of my control. Which is I'm I'm more focused on on making sure that we continue our communication with our guys we're talking to them that they have everything they need um you know watching film on on games already this year to kind of learn from from it now that we're not playing and there's a lot more free time uh so that's you just got to prioritize where where your mind and your your time is going and that's that's not uh that's not one of the 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 hypotheticals that i'm really uh spending spending too much time on but if, if we were to start up again i can promise you we'd want the opportunity to try to to make a push along those lines luke you know you guys again because you were doing a lot of good work in the in the six weeks leading up to the the season coming to a halt um want to throw it your way with this i mean you you any coach spends a lot of time having to listen to outsiders media folks fans you know give their opinion of how a team is playing what's going on with the players um, and you know, you guys were under the spotlight a lot this year. Um, De'Aaron being hurt was a big deal. Marvin obviously has dealt with a ton of injuries his first two years. Give me, you know, let's, let's make sure, you know, give the microphone to you and, and give us your perspective and your impressions of, you know, how you would characterize this season, the ups and the downs. And, and yes, you know, the caveat for me would be this. I don't, you know, the injuries, you know, they, they, they that's the meat and potatoes of, the story this season it's a major factor but you also within that obviously have human dynamics you're getting to know your locker room um you know you have things x's and o's wise like pace and the question of 
you know, early on was the team in good enough shape to really, really push it. Um, you know, for one reason or another, you guys, you really did pick up pace, you know, in the tail end when you were playing really well. Just if you were the one writing the stories and, and on the radio talk shows, like how do you describe this season? What have you liked? What have you not liked? I think where we're at now, looking back on the whole thing, I'd say I, I'm, I'm very pleased with this season. And, and that's not um, to take away that we needed to start the season. We needed to be better to start the season. Um, you know, there's things we wanted to accomplish throughout that we didn't get done. Uh, but what it's about is when you're coming into a new team, it's about building a culture. It's about getting to know your players, getting to under, to get everyone onto the same page. And as the season goes, it's about getting better. And, and I honestly, I truly feel like we're a much better team right now than we were uh, to start the season. And, um, you know, we had, you know, you lose De'Aaron Fox for a big, big, portion of the of the, the the middle part of that season and we made adjustments on the fly and, and uh you know then marvin bag i mean you look at the and marvin those are two of the best athletes in the in the league as far as if you want to play fast and get out and go and and we didn't have them for for a lot of of the season and you know we we, we went through different lineups and we went through uh you know, we had Buddy starting for a while, and we for most of the season we uh, we go to Bogey and see how the chemistry is going. So all the different things that, as a coach, I'm looking at uh, as far as where we're trying to go, how we're going to get there. Um, I feel like we were tested a lot this season, and, and we we saw a lot of it. And I I, I feel like as the season went, we continue to get better and better and understand our defensive philosophies, understand our offensive terminology, uh, start to play more of how we want to play. And through the, the tough times, through the injuries, um, and, and through all, you know, all those different, different things, uh, we came out the other strong, the other side stronger, uh, mentally, and physically and, and as a better team right now. So as a coach, you you know, I'm happy uh, at where we're at and, and again, where we're headed. So if I'm in your shoes, I'm thinking a couple of things here for one, you know, on the very, very positive side, you know what you have in De'Aaron Fox and you're seeing it when he's healthy, what he can be, who he can be and how it impacts your team. But the, the number one subplot of that late season stretch was obviously your decision and, you know, on the team's decision to swap Buddy Hield and Bogdan Bogdanovich in the starting lineup. And, you know, listen, coaches since the beginning of time have had, have had to make tough calls. But again, you have the human dynamic. And you have, for folks who don't track the Kings that closely, you had a guy in Bogdan who my feeling was in the early season, as he got closer to restricted free agency this summer, um, he, he is a guy who sees himself as a starter. He has a high level of confidence. And so... You know, I think you almost had a little bit of a, a tugging on the Bogdan side that that he wanted to be a starter, and then you had Buddy uh, struggling for different parts of the season, and then when you make that switch, you know it has helped in the collective, and that's what matters most. But I'm sure those conversations were tricky, and we've reported on some of that stuff. And the idea that you know that that Buddy doesn't necessarily see him as a six man uh, himself as a six man going forward. How you know, take us through that a little bit. How do you feel about the way? that you've been able to manage that situation? Because obviously it's worked basketball-wise, but these, these aren't robots. These are people. So how, do, how should people see that situation? Yeah, they are people. I think that's always 
uh, a big factor in, in coaching and uh, something that we try to uh, keep in keep in mind. And it's why uh, a big part of the culture that I, I that we're building here uh, is based on relationships and, and and letting our players know that we care and that we're there for them because there's going to be tough times like this. And that's when teams can get through them. And for whether it's a tough time for a group, a team, or an individual, um, there has to be that respect there. And Bogey and, and Buddy are uh, very good friends. They work out against each other all the time. They're, all, they're two of the guys that are in the gym so much that you have to tell them to get, go home and get off their feet. Um, and they, they support each other. They, they cheer for each other. And uh, – it was a decision based on us struggling at the time and continuing to try to, you know, to, to, to find the right grouping of players, you know, it's the first year we've all been together. So it, it takes time and experience to kind of see what is, who plays best with who. And yeah, buddy was, buddy was not happy about not starting, but he didn't bitch. He, he, uh, he said, you're the coach. Let's, you know, that, you know, I'll, I'm going to do what I, I need to do. And he came out that Chicago game and we had a big, big lead. They came storming back in the third and, and buddy caught fire and he kind of calmed. He, he stopped that momentum and, and we really only win that game because of his performance. And, and there's, since we, you know, made that, that switch, there was, you know, four or five other games that were just like that were, Buddy coming in with that second unit where we can run a lot more plays for him. Um, and, and, and it just, it, it just, it, it was working. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things you just don't know how it's going to play out until you do it. And it was a decision that, you know, you don't, you don't ever know, but you gotta, you gotta roll the dice sometimes. And it, it, it was paying off and bogey was playing great. Uh, the, the flow of, him out there with Belly, who obviously they play together with Serbia all the time and the chemistry they have and, and Harrison and De'Aaron um, was, it was just, it, it was working for, for the team as a whole and both units. And, you know, I told even with Buddy doing that, he was still playing starter minutes. He was still finishing certain games. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where you, if you're truly bought into being on the team, you end up accepting it because that's a huge value. I mean, you look at Ginobili with the Spurs, you look at Lamar with our Laker teams, Steve did it with Andre up in Golden State. So I mean, you need starter caliber players kind of playing with that second group. Uh, a lot of times, and I thought Buddy had really, really done a nice job of of, make, of embracing that and making our team uh, better. You know, we talk about Phil and coaching and the profession and how it, there's no there's no kind of a playbook for this, so to speak. Um, I had heard a story, and if you don't want to go down this road, that's fine. But as far as outside the box approaches to challenging situations, uh, I'd been told at the time when you made the Buddy switch and he had expressed some frustration and he's been pretty outspoken in the media too this year that you know you had to to kind of do the outside the box stuff to connect with him and and one story in particular um and correct me if i'm wrong but that i think you had made a trip to his house to try to you know make more of a direct connection and and just talk and and really look each other in the eye and figure this thing out 
what if anything can you kind of share about you know some of the the style that you you chose to approach that situation with no uh that, i mean that 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 was um uh, that was uh, a separate uh such i mean buddy and i have a have a very good relationship and and i've always been uh honest with buddy and he's always been honest with with me in, in the way that we communicate with each other um and you know when i when i called him in my office in Chicago. It was very, um, it was a, a quick, short conversation. And, and he was, you know, he said, you know, he, like I said, I'm, you're the coach. I'll, I'll do what I, what needs to be done. And I'm, you know, and, and like I said, he went out there and, and helped us win that, that game. So, uh, but he's an outspoken person, but that's, again, I'm, I, I support that. I, I mean, I don't always agree with what he's saying, uh, but I support the fact that he, uh, you know, he, he speaks his mind and, and that's the, the personality he is, but it also makes him such a, uh, you know, a, a great, unique player and, and it allows him to have the success he's had is because he believes in himself like that. And I'm totally behind that and support that. And, uh, we'll continue to, to work on our, our relationship on and off the court, but yeah, we, we get along. Uh, we get along just uh, just fine. So, Luke, there. Uh, speaking of another player that you get along with uh, very well, um, I was in New York at the same time that you guys were. Uh, you played the you played the Nets and you played um, and you played the Knicks, of course. And at this in that same week, uh, the Pelicans were there. And, um, actually, no, I don't think you, I think, I think you guys had made two trips in New York. So you were one of those games, you, one of those teams you didn't play, but, but you were in the city at the same time that the Pelicans were, and you actually had a, uh, kind of a chance encounter in a, in a gym or in a hotel gym with, with one of your former players who then went out that night and I think scored a career high. Um, what do you remember about that and tell us who it was? Uh, Brandon, Brandon Ingram. Uh, yes, sir. Was, uh, yeah, Brandon. Uh, I guess I, I. What What are the rules on this? I feel like I, I'm not allowed to talk about other teams' players. I mean, Luke, the, oh. the podcast is actually titled "Tampering," just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is where you get in trouble. All I'll tell you, that is, don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah, it, it, I, I was very happy to see Brandon. Uh, you know, playing the way he he's playing, he deserves it. He loves the game of basketball. He's an incredible hard uh, hard worker, incredibly hard worker, um, and he's he's he, he's really coming into his own. I think uh, Alvin Gentry has done an incredible job over there with uh, with that that young team. And uh, yeah, happy, happy, very happy for Brandon. All right, Luke, he's a wealthy guy. Yeah, no question. He's got a big summer coming up. Whenever free agency actually happens, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, like I said, I, I, he, I'm happy for him. He deserves what whatever, uh, whatever, however this thing ends, and whenever we get going again, he he deserves whatever's coming to him. All right, Luke, we're gonna get you out on a lighter note, and can't thank you enough. We've we've almost doubled our time that you agreed to, so apologies for that. Um, I'll make it up to you somehow. I. Uh, I couldn't get out without poking a little fun when it comes to your least favorite topic of this entire season, which is the Mavericks' Luka Doncic. And 
you know, the Kings folks give me a hard time for focusing too much on, you know, that subplot that, that the fans focus so much on. And, um, but, but this is not that what I wanted to, I haven't asked you this even offline. What I did want to ask you is, um, did we read lips correctly uh, a while back when y'all played Dallas and, and did you in fact tell the, I forget which referee it was, but did you make a comment to Luca about how the ref wanted to, uh, to get his autograph during one of your games? I don't remember. Too, too long, too, 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 too long ago. All right, uh, Luca's a Luca's a hell of a player, and uh, he's he's great for the NBA. Uh, and it's it's incredible what he's doing at his age, and and and, uh, and how fast and, and he's become an all star. So um, he's a heck of a player. I don't I don't recall what I said, and uh, but we well, I loved it from the standpoint of like. You mixing it up. That that was my favorite part. Is that competitiveness where it showed? I mean, for one, the cameras just happened to catch you at an intense time. But it, you know, it wasn't that long ago you were playing the game. And I love when you see coaches get so fired up where you get reminded that uh, you know you're not just the guy pulling the strings here. That that you guys are extremely competitive. Yeah, and and, I'll t- and let me say that. And <laughs> on that note, there was a. We'll go full circle here. Some of those Doug Collins clips from when he was running up and down the sideline right. uh, in that the last dance last night when he was a young coach uh, was was pretty awesome. Um, and I I, I want to make sure that we talking about Luca that Vlade has done an incredible job with with assembling this team here in Sacramento, and, and we have young pieces. We have great great people as players and I think that's shown in some of the, the work in, uh, that they've done in their own communities and this com- community during this time um, he's built a team he's built uh, you know he's got we have versatility we have youth we have talent and I think it's important to give him a lot of credit for uh, you know for putting this thing together and and, and uh and having the pieces that we have. Did you like the uh, Vladi made a cameo and and the doc too? It's a young Vladi with a uh, with a full head of hair and everything. Yeah, <laughs> jumping center, right? Um, for for uh, for the Lakers there in, in that ninety one clip. Right. All right, my friend. We'll get you out. Thank you so much for doing this. Glad to hear that you and the family are doing well. I'm going to take a few of those dad tips uh, and and pretend they're my own and start getting pegged by volleyballs here pretty soon. Um, but thank, thank you, Luke. Right, we'll, we'll, hope, goes, <laughs> hopefully we'll see you in the gym sooner rather than later. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Luke. That was fun. Appreciate it, man. Not a problem, guys.